0: Welcome to another episode of Everything Imaginable. My name is Gary Catalillo, your host. Today, our ga- our guest is Lance Baker. He is a Reiki master teacher, and he is a trained hypnos- hypnotist for the Australian Academy of Hypnosis. He is also a best-selling author on hypnosis. Lance is a live is living a pain-free life. After suffering from migraines for 10 years, and instead of working a corporate job and just making money, he has the chance to help make people's lives better through branches of healing. Thank you for being on my podcast, Lance. Happy to be on. And um, uh, before we get started, um, you have a book, a podcast, and a website? Yes. Yes.
1: That my my
0: listeners can check out. How can they find those?
1: Uh, branchesofhealing.com.au branches or if you just search Lance Baker and hypnosis, I come up under all different sorts of things on on Google. Uh, Akasha Talks is the podcast. It's it's embedded within that branches of healing page, or you can just go to AkashaTalks.com slash podcast to get directly to there.
0: All right. Awesome. So I had listened to the first episode of your podcast and found it fascinating how uh, life led you to uh, energy healing, meditation, and hypnosis. Would you like to share some of your journey with my listeners?
1: Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I, it was not a fun journey, to be honest. Uh, I, I had a botched up brain surgery years and years ago. And from the moment I woke up from that, I had a migraine. And it was there twenty four seven, just non stop pounding migraine, and that lasted nearly a decade. It was about nine and a half years, twenty four seven, not a second's reprieve. Uh, that migraine was was varying in intensity uh, on the the pain scale of, of one to ten. The best I ever felt over that. Over that nine and a half years would have been a three, but it was rare for me to feel that good. Uh, on average, I was usually sitting in the middle of that pain scale around a five or a six. Uh, I had to redefine what 10 was more than a dozen dozen times. It was uh, it was, it was pretty intense to show me new levels of what pain can be. And uh, and that was a that was a pretty grueling decade, as you could uh, imagine. I'm sure. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Uh, and the first three or four years, I tried everything Western medicine had to, to offer, and quite a few allied therapies as well. Got nowhere. Nothing put a real dent in it. Like even some of the heavy duty drugs they gave me would only drop it a couple on the pain scale. Like I said, it, it never went away. No matter what I did or took uh, over that time, and there was a time where I just gave up hope, and I just, uh, I just thought, effort. This is this is my life. Uh, I just suck it up and, and cope. Uh, I took as minimal drugs as I could so that my liver would still uh, be surviving if this was what my life was going to be like. I went about it, and then at the start of the ninth year, I was like, I can't keep doing this. This is this is insane. Um, I'm, I'm trying everything again. No matter how stupid something is, I'm going to try it. If it seems weird and wacky and like it's an absolute joke, I'm still going to drop some money on it and try it. Um, the, so a pain psychologist was the first thing I seen that year. Uh, she talked about this big list of everything she knew of that I could do and I ticked everything on that list except for meditation. I tried meditation, but I didn't dive deep in meditation. Uh, so I was like, oh, I need to give that a better chance. Um, and I thought, well, if I'm going to try meditation out, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the extremes with it. I tried float tanks to, to meditate uh, and had some interesting experiences there. and was starting to feel a, a tiny bit better from doing that on, on a regular thing. Uh, And then after a few months in that year, I tried Reiki out and it made a little bit of a difference. Not much, but a little bit. It it had enough to grab my attention. This woman did this, her thing. She didn't even touch me. And I was laying down on her table, my eyes closed. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Gary, I was... I was laying there and I was thinking, this is such a freaking scam.
0: <laughs>
1: I, <laughs> I was imagining pulling money out of my wallet and setting it on fire. I thought this hippie is sitting in the corner, reading a book, playing for tarot cards. She's just She's, she's got a good rot going on here. And then I felt something move in my head. I was hyper aware of all the sensations in my head, as you can imagine, after feeling that much pain for for that long. I could spot every little micro difference within my head. And I felt her pull something out of my head. And I, I nearly shot up off the table and, and turned around and looked at her. Uh because I was like, this she she's done something. Um and I was expecting to feel amazing after that because I thought I thought she pulled it out of my head, the the thing that was going wrong there. Uh but she didn't pull it out. She just pulled some of the, the frequency of that energy out, and I felt a tiny bit better. Probably only about half on the pain, half up pain scale off. So I think I was sitting around a five or a six at that sort of time, and and it just dropped me down to like a four and a half or something. But I slept a little bit better that night, and and that would have made the next day of that a little bit easier to cope with all the stuff. Uh, and so I, I went back a few times and kept trying it out. And I was still doing the float tank thing. And I tried to learn how to meditate properly rather than just lay down the tank and focus on my breath. I thought that, well, is that really meditation? Maybe, maybe I should learn how to do this properly. I Googled meditation class, Newcastle, this sad day, nothing come up except for a Reiki one class. Now that, that does seem bizarre to me now because I know if I type that in now, People like myself, who hasn't even run a meditation class in probably four or five months, still come up. Uh, the Buddhist center runs something all the time. Mm-hmm. There's, there's three Buddhist centers in my town. Uh, and Newcastle, there's, there's Newcastle, Australia, where I live, but there's Newcastle, UK, that all that stuff floods it too. None of that come up, but this Reiki one class did. Uh, and it said you could do it yourself. And I thought, okay, I can, I can top up in between. Uh, seeing this woman and and get a bit more out of that healing, so I went and with Reiki, it's 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 the one of the key things of how you learn it is it's passed on by an attunement. They go through this little ritual where they connect you to the ability to do this energy thing, and they did that, and then once I could feel that in between my hands, it blew my mind uh, I was I was sitting there stumped Gary that this this view I had on life was very different to what it was I just had an extra layer I could it was like seeing a new color uh, it was, it was, I felt bizarre that there was this extra layer that I had never noticed before and I played with this energy for quite a lot uh, just, just basic practices And within a week and a half, that migraine had disappeared completely, gone. I don't even know what day it disappeared. It could have been a week in, but I remember being in my little man cave office at the back of the house I had at the time. And I was was leaving that to step into my yard, to go back into my house to to get ready to go to work that afternoon. And as I was shutting the door, I noticed there was, there was no migraine there. And I, I thought back, was it there this morning? And I couldn't remember it there that morning. Uh, I couldn't place where it was. I kept looking for it all day, thinking it was going to come back. It didn't. And it stayed away uh, since. Uh, so this energy feeling, it 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 had my attention massively as you can imagine uh it it gave me the ability to have a normal life again
0: Hmm. what is it with the reiki like do you think it 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 pulled the energy out of you did it physically heal something in your brain how do you think it worked
1: well the the thing i had in my brain was an arachnoid cyst is what it's called um so our brains are covered in a membrane that looks like a spider web. That's where it gets the name arachnoid. And that holds all the cerebral fluid in that flows around your brain and up and down your spine. And mine has a gigantic pocket, uh, bigger than my fist. So it's, it's eight by eight by six and a half centimetres. Um, so that's like three by two and a half inches sort of size roughly for imperial scale and that is that that's still there today I'll, I'll be honest it it hasn't changed i had a scan a few years ago and it was still there so there's no reason why anything should be different on that physiological level um and i didn't spend time healing myself i've spent maybe in that week and a half about half an hour with my hands over my head trying to heal myself but it was just like i started i was like no i don't even know how to do this thing properly yet i'm just going to do the basic practices of doing an energy ball practicing on on other people i'm not going to be able to heal myself for weeks or years i only expected to make it more manageable like my my best expectation would have been I could live at a three on the pain scale and not have those peaks. Um, But when you, when you do Reiki, you're pulling it in through the top of your head and out through your hands. So every time I was practicing Reiki, it had to go through my head that was feeling pain and it released that pain changed the way I sense it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how it works in that regard that it just took the pain away. So it only healed the the pain level. It didn't heal the physiological thing, but I had none of the side effects that I used to have. I don't get vertigo anymore. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't get knocked out with these migraines. Um, all the things that used to trigger it don't trigger it anymore. Hmm. It's, it's just bizarre. I had the first pain client I had, had a shattered hip and she got up carrying her crutches and, and walked out. Uh, I didn't fuse all those hip bone pieces back together. Uh, I told her to still use those crutches that if you go for an x-ray, those, that hip is going to be shattered. It just makes it manageable, workable.
0: Yeah. yeah. One of the things I find interesting about energy healing is, you know, everything that we touch is made of energy, including Mm -hmm. our bodies. And um, by changing that energy, you know, changes how we perceive it. Like the vibration, I guess, or the frequency of that energy. Um, One of the things that I found interesting is when you tell that story, it's like that she was just in the corner. Don't Reiki practitioners usually hold their hands close to the body or sometimes, you know, lay their hands on the part of the body that they're trying to heal.
1: Yeah. Well, she wasn't, she wasn't in the corner. I was thinking she's just in the corner. Uh, she was, she never got closer than a meter to me though. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's different kinds of, of Reiki practitioners. There's people who, who call themselves, uh Yusui Reiki practitioners. Uh Yusui's the guy who, who started Reiki. And they do these hand placements where they there's there's a paint by number system. They put their hands in like essentially twenty different places over the body, and and that's their their session. They spend three to five minutes on each spot. Uh, that's actually a, an adaption that came uh, a couple of generations after Suey in the the lineage of of Reiki. Uh, there's a, a guy called Chirio who was a naval officer who liked things regimented and that was the way he started training it and Yasui he used to use a lot of intuition and a lot of non-touch and work in the energy field of somebody and uh, and that's how, how this lady did it in that sense was she, she did off body, she did a fair bit off body, she didn't when I booked with her, I booked for Reiki because that was what was on her business card uh, and that's the, just the term she used because that's what people understand but she did a bunch of other different kind of energy healing things so it would have been her using all of her toolkits so she wasn't just doing Reiki in that sense. Uh-huh. Uh, personally, I, when I do my sessions, I might touch people half of the time and half the time I'm off body. Sometimes that's uh, an inch or two away from them. Sometimes it's like six feet or more away from them. Uh, I've done meditations where I work with Reiki on a beach where I've I've been like on the other side of the beach to mm-hmm. the people uh, and they can still sense what I'm doing. So it's uh, it's quite diverse how energy works. You don't need to be in the same room is somebody to do energy healing it can work over distance
0: um with the energy healing do you
1: usually chakras or meridians or anything like that yes uh reiki doesn't focus on those sort of things but the practice i use with energy healing yes uh so i I wrote a book on chakras uh, as one of the books i've got on on amazon uh they're the easiest way to get energy in or out of somebody's body. They're, they're like just seven primary portals that energy can move through. And then there's hundreds of other micro ones all throughout the body. Uh, the Meridian system is, is like the veins of it. Uh, I use them all the time. I, I got a kidney stone a few years ago and... I just kept healing and tracing the kidney meridian, and it disappeared. My doctor told me, "Nope, you peed it out." I was like, "Would have I noticed that?" He's going, "Yes, you would have had made a sound when it hit the toilet. You would have probably screamed, and there would have been blood in the bowl." I had none of that. Uh, it just disappeared.
0: Hmm. Um, in order to practice Reiki, did you need an attunement first? Um, like does the, energy, does the energy transfer from one person to another, or is this energy something that all people have access to, but are not aware of?
1: I, I like this question because it's it's a loaded one. <laughs> uh, so if if I'm going to put the label reiki on it, the the core principle of reiki is that there's an achievement. Uh So and an attunement's not I ran a Reiki class yesterday. I'm going to be going back to, to run the second half of today. And I did attunements on most of the class yesterday. I've got a couple people I've still got to do them on today. And I don't give my energy to do that. They're not getting any of mine. What an attunement is, is like when you get a, a new car and you turn the radio on, it's just static, and you can tune a radio station in, you can save it to button number one. Then anytime you get in the car, you can press number one and la di da 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 there's your music. You can hear it. Uh, So you tune people into that frequency of that healing energy and save it essentially, so that anytime they have that intention of connecting to Reiki, it's there. Uh, I've done a distance attunement, one that, that any of your listeners can listen to. I'll, I'll give you to put in your, your show notes that they can yeah, check yeah, out and I'll enjoy that think. experience. Uh, and it, it opens you up to that frequency. So it's, it's a, like a shortcut. It's a, a way to get there easy. But as you were questioning, does everybody just have this ability? I think yes, but that's not Reiki. That's just you tapping into to that animist ability of connecting to to the universe around you, to the land you live on, and, uh, the the akasha energy that's that's in the field around you, and pulling that in. Uh, I think anybody has that natural ability, but it takes a lot of work and practice to get there to fine tune yourself into that frequency if somebody doesn't give you an attunement uh, with the attunements, I've never met anybody out of the thousands of people I've trained who couldn't be actually doing Reiki within a couple of hours.
0: Hmm. And can the attunements be done remotely also?
1: they can be. That's, that's the the thing I'll, I'll share the link for so that your, your viewers listeners can, uh, can check out and enjoy.
0: Yeah, yeah I'm sure they'll like that. Thanks just a a
1: 10 minute video and I've got a a 10 minute bookend video of, of the basic lesson of, of some practices of what people can do and and how to do that. So they can, can check it out. If they like that, there's a link in there to my podcast for a, a 40 minute lesson on how to do it over distance so that they can do distance healing to somebody else, which is pretty handy in this post COVID world of, over lockdowns being on and off all the time that if they've got a friend or family member on the other side of the country, they can give them healing from their own home when each of them are in separate lockdowns.
0: Hmm. Um, with the, can a, can a person awaken psychic abilities with Reiki?
1: Yes. Uh, it's, it's not an exact science that that happens with everybody, but I find the more people do Reiki, the more, uh, weird stuff happens uh, I don't think I had any psychic abilities before I started doing Reiki now I have quite a few of those sort of things happen uh, and it started quite quick uh, within, within three weeks uh, it happened with me uh, somebody reasonably close to me who I only communicate normally with email or text to I woke up in the morning, and I had this nagging feeling that I had to call her. Call her, call her, call her, call her, call her, call her. Let's call her Jill. Uh, it's just to, to give her privacy because it's a touchy subject. <laughs> call Jill, call Jill, call Jill, call Jill. I get out of bed, and think oh, maybe I'll call Jill tonight. I'll send her an email or something. And the last time I'd called her would have been three years before this on her birthday. Otherwise it was just that email or text. And I'm in the shower and it starts up again. Call Jill, call Jill, call Jill, call Jill, call Jill, right ah. Like, oh. Righto, I'll, I'll actually, I'll call her tonight. When I get home from work, I'll call Jill. I'm getting dressed. Call Jill, call Jill, call Jill. Call Jill. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Righto. I'll call her on my lunch break. Maybe. I get in the car, turn the engine, driving out the driveway. Call Jill, call Jill, call Jill, call Jill, call Jill. Call Jill. I'm like, damn it. I am not going to be able to get this. Thought of Jill out of my head. I'm going to have to call her. This is bizarre. So I, I, I turn my car Bluetooth speaker thing on that I had way back then. Call her up. I get a voicemail. I leave a voicemail. Jill. This is Lance. I have this nagging feeling I had to call you. So this is me calling you. Call me back so I know what the hell's going on. And uh, hung up. Now, Jill, I've, I've I've known for a very, very, very long time. Uh, Jill was actually with me with that first doctor's visit I did. Uh, so she knew all about my stuff and she knew that Reiki had healed me. And I get a text message off her. Thank you. I need to hear that. I'm going to bed. I'll speak to you when I get up. And I thought, oh, okay, she must be doing shift work again or something because this is like eight o'clock in the morning. It's a bizarre time to be going to bed. Righto. Uh, and I went to work. Uh, and I was I was the, the boss of the place I worked at at the time. I did my day. Uh, I normally worked till five. Was my official time, but more often than not, it was six or something like that. And at around half past two, three o'clock, I had this same feeling from the morning, like the call Jill, call Jill thing of time to go home, time to go home, time to go home. And I, I never used to take early marks, but after that, ah, oh, yeah, I'll listen to that. I deserve an early mark. See you later, everyone. I'm going home. And the moment I crossed the threshold of the doors of that building, my phone started ringing and it was Jill. She'd just gotten up and Jill told me what had happened. Jill was about to suicide right at that moment when I called Uh, and she'd been deliberating it all night, thinking about it and she'd called all of the suicide helplines and mental health things and, uh, they they got nowhere with her, uh, and yeah. So she was about to act when I spoke with her. When, when I not spoke with her when I when I called, uh, and she, I left that voicemail. So her seeing that made her think of of me going through all that pain for, for close to a decade, and her telling me all that time, one day you'll find your thing that'll get you out of it. Uh, And and I used to tell her no. She used to tell me to do affirmations and stuff like that. And I'd laugh at her. Uh, Now I tell other people to do affirmations and stuff. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, she um, her thought when she seen me there was I told him for years, he'd find his thing. And he's the one calling me when I'm about to do something. I'm going to find my thing. So she didn't act. She went to sleep. She rested comfortably. Uh, she's still alive today. Uh, She's doing a hell of a lot better. Uh, Life has has still got rough times for her, but she's got some really good things going in her life now uh, that she never had back then. Um, And I know she has no desire to to be that drastic now. Uh, So, that was the clear thing of a straight away for me that I, I'd never had thoughts like that before. And definitely not with that sort of confirmation of, of something that full on. Well,
0: It's good that you acted on that nagging thought, listen to your intuition. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and normally hey, I would just hard. would have thought, well, I'm just thinking stuff. Uh, it, it It didn't, sound like like it wasn't like my grandma's voice outside me saying, Lance, go go call go call her. Do this. It was just my consciousness. Hmm. Um, so most people have that belief that when sciability starts it's gonna be like that, that they're gonna they're gonna see an animated version of their their grandparent or some Indian spiritual guide or whatever. Telling them what's going on or showing them—it's—it's uh, it's generally not that. It's—it's it's your consciousness picking up on something, and you've got to just work out when and how to listen to it.
0: Yeah, I, I had something like that happen when I was a kid. I had it was one night I was laying in bed. I don't know the whole. I think I was maybe eight or nine years old, and I couldn't sleep. So I got up to go to the kitchen to get something to eat. It was like, you know, maybe two o'clock in the morning. And I walk in the kitchen and my mom is up and because she, she couldn't sleep either. And, and so we just sort of just stayed up and hung out. And around eight o'clock in the morning, the phone rang and I found out that my great grandmother had passed away that evening. So it was like we both sort of knew that something was wrong. Mm. And it was.
1: Yeah, uh, I find family connections usually quite strong with that sort of stuff in yeah. a lot of people's experiences. Um, that's that's interesting. Um,
0: does Reiki require any trance-like states of consciousness?
1: No, no, not at all. Uh, it's it's not a trance healing, um, but. That's what led me to to being a hypnotherapist was when I was doing Reiki, I was putting people into trance. Uh, so that's a side effect that quite often happens when you're getting Reiki is you you drop into a trance-like state. Uh, so one of the people that trained me in Reiki was also a hypnotherapist. And when I'd, I'd gone back for further training later on and she seen me practice on, on the other students and the thing, she was was amazed at how deep the trance people were going into when I was doing Reiki on them. So it's not, it's not something that happens for everybody. It was just something that was, was happening with, with the people I was practicing on. And it turns out hypnosis started from energy healing. So hypnosis never used to, to be a spoken word thing. Uh, Anton Mesmer, the guy who started it, it was just energy healing. Hmm. And you put um, people into a trance and shake out their conditions. What
0: are bars? I've never heard that term before.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's a different kind of energy healing from um, a company called Access Consciousness. Um, it's about 32 different points on the head that have got a bar of, you run a bar of energy from like one side to the other. So like, from, from one temple to the other, from one other point on the head to, an, to another. So it kind of, it doesn't match up with the meridian system. Uh, but it's, it's, I guess it's harder to explain just with, with voice, but one, one side of your head and you mirror that to the exact same point on the other. And you're basically running a, a bar of line between those two points. And it can help clear unconscious blocks about things like, things to do with uh, money, creativity, sex, healing, aging, perceptions, uh, all, all sorts of different things that it can just clear naturally. Uh,
0: it almost like sounds like an electric connection from one side to the other or like shooting a laser through and clearing something out.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it is it is kind of like that. It's like using energy healing for uh, a light version of electroshock therapy, I guess, without it being painful for people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, how about sexual healing? Can Reiki uh, be used during sex?
1: Yeah, yeah, it can. Uh, the The first time I had a, a tantric experience was just when I was I was practicing uh, practicing Reiki. Uh, I was just by myself in a room and I was not touching myself in any way, shape or form. And it, it turned into quite a bizarre, interesting experience that I wasn't expecting at the time that uh, was a pleasant surprise. Uh, and then I've, I've used that to be able to, to do that with a partner uh, and, and explore those territories. It's, uh, it's a hard... Thing to describe there as well. It just, uh, it just makes it so. Well, generally, men' their orgasm is just they come, and that's that's it. It's just a, a good feeling for a split couple of seconds. When energy is involved, it it can last ten minutes, uh, and and maybe you come as well. Maybe you don't. And that's uh, it's a little bit interesting. But I, I bet your partners that, love that. Yes, they can. <laughs> um, some some people find that more confronting, though. Uh, I've had people in the past that, that didn't like that because it they they felt it needed to finish in a, in a different way or um, or it it was uh just too much for them or something. But with with that, that's that's more the the tantric side of things mm-hmm. um, and. Can it be used for sexual healing? You can do sexual healing without it being sexual. So quite often, some people that are getting Reiki, they're getting it to deal with the sexual trauma that they're not ready to talk about yet. And so it can dissolve that traumatic emotion within the body without it being a sexual act. So a practitioner's got somebody on their table. They're not touching them. The person's got their clothes on. They might even have a rug over them. It doesn't matter. And they're not feeling anything sexual. No one's thinking anything sexual, but it can heal that trauma they carry around every day from some traumatic experience, whether that was a horrible relationship, uh, whether that was sexual abuse as an adult or a child. It can soften that up and help release the way that overpowers their life. So That's
0: good, like I I call
1: that sexual healing as well, but it's not yeah. sexual.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I understand too. Like sometimes people, um, especially when they're abused, like especially as children, they don't have memory of it, but it's still in their psyche, which makes it very difficult to heal something like that.
1: It sure does. Uh, I mostly will use hypnotherapy for that approach though, because it gets greater results faster because I'm talking directly to the part of their consciousness that holds that, that pain and experience. And yeah, like you said, a lot of people don't know. I've had people come to me that thought it started when they were eight and when we're in hypnosis turns out it was when they were four and there's repressed things of of where it was before that.
0: Hmm. Um, so this is probably the last question on the energy healing. Um, since everything is energy, does Reiki allow for plant and animal communication? Yes.
1: Um, it. I, I had somebody on my podcast who, who's an animal Reiki healer and she's an animal communicator and she she gets feedback quite often during her sessions of like what the animal needs, whether it's a chain in diet or something that's happening in that household and, and gives that news to the people. And they're usually quite blown away that she can describe what they're, they're feeding the dog or what their kids do to the dog or whatever. Um, so that happens for, for quite a few people. Not everybody you've got to spend a lot of, time and effort to be able to develop that Mm. um animist ability to communicate with your environment of like a a dog a plant or a mountain or a lake or something like that
0: i think it would be cool though to kind of communicate like say with like a 500 year old tree you know (laughs) because it's been around for so long and you know i can only imagine what that tree would actually Know or have seen,
1: yeah, uh, and it's depending on what what land you're you're on. Generally, they've they've had a real relationship with the people if it's something that big and that old. Uh, so, in Australia, the part I live in uh, is is called the uh, Newcastle region, roughly, but the area before the colonialization of this this country, this area was called Awaba. And in the Aboriginal language of the area, Awaba means lake. And there's a giant lake. Mm -hmm. Uh, I live across from that lake now. Uh, And the whole region for, for miles out, as, as a wobbical land or one of the people but they they call the land awabical for lake and so days walk away they still knew of, of this lake and and would respect this lake and communicate with it and so it had it had a lot of power and recognition and nowadays it's, it's not people use it for fun they drive around in there. Jet skis and motorboats and fish and whatever. Uh, and if you're not right near the lake, you, you don't pay attention to it. There's beautiful beaches uh, two blocks from my office, and most people think more of the beaches in the, in the white colonial mindset rather than the lake. Um, so traditionally, the, the people had a real relationship with that land. There's a mountain not far from me that has turned into the the mountain. They put the uh, antennas on that are the telephone TV signal sender towers. And, and this mountain, there's a a cliff face on it that looks like an Aboriginal elder. And they, they had this big thing for years where they talked about that where it was this was this was a person and they, they treat the mountain like a person and they talk to him and revere him and it was like an, an ancestor that descended into the mountain. That's pretty cool. Yeah, where we just see it as a big tall thing to chuck some metal spikes in so that we can get a better T V signal.
0: Yeah, we we've uh, we've really lost touch with our, our connection with nature, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, If somebody wants to experiment with that, I don't think you need Reiki to do that. I I say do some research on the land you live on and there will be a landmark somewhere near you that has a story. Find somebody who can tell you that story or read it online and sit with it and see what happens. And you'll probably start to get a little bit of that communication. From that, or every time you walk or drive past it, say hello, and and see what happens.
0: Awesome. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned too is this is something I've always wanted to, to try, but unfortunately there's none near me. Is your experience with the flotation tanks? Um, <laughs> is is it like what it, they showed in the, um what was that movie? Altered
1: States. <laughs> uh that dude turned back into a caveman or something. From memory. <laughs> I, I didn't turn into a caveman. Uh, it, and the, the tanks nowadays are, are where you lay down with that one. It was like this upright pod where he had to wear like a submarine helmet sort of thing to be able to breathe and stuff. Uh, I think maybe that was only in the beginning, but maybe he upgraded to the proper tanks later. Uh, but you just lay down in this tank. It's got a boatload of salt in there and magnesium to make it easy for you to float. And so it's like the dead sea. You've, if you, you can't not float. If you want to have your hands under the water, you've got to push your hands down to be under the water. Otherwise they just float. They've got a heater element in it that heats the water up to body temperature so that you pretty much don't even feel that water. You close the lid up and it's completely dark, so you don't see anything. Your ears are usually submerged under the water, so you don't really hear anything either. You can have a speaker there to play music. I found that got in the way. I didn't like that. And so it takes out all of these other senses, so it's just you and your mind. And when it started there their hypothesis was that if you take out all stimulus, consciousness shuts off. And so they built this float tank to test that theory out. And it turns out it's the opposite. You take out all other stimulus and your consciousness can explode a little bit more and come to the forefront. And so it gives you great inner communication. So, most people enter what's called theta state uh, after they've been in there for five or 10 minutes, where, which, is, which is what trance is. Uh, the first time I did it, I didn't know what to expect. I got in one and I was in there for an hour. He played music for the first five minutes to help me relax uh, and then turn it on again at the end. And I could not shut my mind up the whole time. It was it was like those three people in the tank with me talking to me. Was was full on. But in that, I got somewhere with those thoughts. They were all the normal anxieties and stresses and things I was deliberating over the past few months that all come up at once and all made me deal with it. They made me sit down and have that conversation because I couldn't go anywhere. Like when you go for a drive with somebody. Uh, Do you have a partner, Gary?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have a wife.
1: Okay. You go for a drive with your partner and there's been a conversation you've been avoiding for a while and you're going for a cross-country trip. You're driving all day. In the middle of that drive, your partner says to you, we need to talk about this, Gary, and spits it out. Well, what do you do? You have to have that conversation. You can't get out of the car and, and leave the room. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: that's going to end really badly. Uh, you, you're, you're trapped in that position where you have to discuss what your partner's brought up. And that's kind of the thing with the tank is, is your consciousness knows well, you've got nowhere to go now. You can't distract yourself with your phone. You can't distract yourself with TV. It's just you and him. And then, so you have that conversation. Um, now I understand that a lot deeper from the hypnosis stuff I do and, and parts therapy of understanding right. the different parts of our consciousness. Uh, but I, I actually got some some headway on on things and and cleared a lot of those stresses and anxieties from having that essential conversation, talking with myself without distraction for an hour. I didn't like that experience cause it was, it was pretty full on. Uh, and I thought it was going to be relaxing. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he said afterwards, yeah, that happens for people. Sometimes, sometimes people just go into that trance state though. Uh, the next time I come back, I was able to do that. Uh, I told him no music at the beginning. I just got in, laid down and I was able to quieten that voice quite quickly and just focus on my breath. And I did trance state, and I was gone. Uh, this one is weird because this one, the second one I did, I did on, I was like December 28, 29, something like that. I'd had a big party the night before. I got got hammered.
0: (laughs) hammered. Uh,
1: And my wife at the time, her birthday was New Year's Eve. And so I was going to get hammered again a couple of days after this float tank experience. And so I'm in that float tank and I booked it to be able to get over. uh, um, I I purposefully booked it to be able to help get over the hangover because when I'd been there the first time, the guy said, Oh, a lot of people book it for just getting over like jet lag and stuff like that. And I never, never used to fly. So I was like, well, that means nothing to me but from what I hear, jet lags like a a hangover and I'm going to get hammered next week. So I'm going to book in after that. (laughs) And so I'm in this float tank and I'm feeling pretty crappy because I drank a little bit too much the night before. I can kind of even taste rum on my breath still. And I'm there and I go into that trance tank really easy and I get out of the tank and I'm just like, oh, that, that was chilled. That was good. I felt great. Uh, didn't notice what happened till New Year's Eve. Went away with my wife at the time. And we booked a hotel room. I'd bought a, a carton of pre-mixed rum and cokes that I was going to be drinking. I was planning on having a big night. We get in the spa, I crack a can, I try and drink it. Guess what? You could. I can't drink anymore. Could not drink it. Uh, part of my consciousness in that trance state put the links together of the memories of the night before when I was drunk, the taste of the rum in my mouth still and the feeling I had in my body and made the connections of, of all of that of, of this rum was just toxin to my body. And so I took out all desire for it. And I, I, I tried for... Quite a while to drink that can. I kept kept trying to have a sip, but I just couldn't do it. And I did not drink again for a year. Uh, I I slowly taught myself how to drink again because I enjoy a couple of drinks. But I don't think I've been plastered since then. Hmm. Um, So it, it gave me like a like an alcoholic's hypnosis session, all on its own. When you in a trance state, sometimes your consciousness works out what's needed and just does it without you actually telling it what to do. Uh, right. If you want to find out more about float tanks, um, the guy who runs the float tank center, I had him on my podcast. I think it's like episode number three or something like that, where we, we talk in great detail about all different stories like that.
0: Huh? Maybe I'll see if I can contact him and get him on my podcast. That's one of the things I'm definitely really curious about. Um, yeah. Is, oh, I would love to, to try it, but there's none around here. I've even thought about like getting like a giant cement mixer and filling it with water and just sealing it off and climbing it in there.
1: (laughs) You you need to get bags and bags and bags of salt to make it work properly. Otherwise you'll drown. (laughs) So it takes a a little bit of work, but I'd Mm -hmm. recommend having a chat with Jason. I'll I'll send you his details. Yeah. I I would love to have a conversation for your your listeners.
0: Um, so now let's move over to this. Your hypnosis. Uh,
1: what is swan? Swan is, um, it's a hypnosis like practice. Um, that was invented by a, a Scottish mentor of mine, Bob Burns. And it's, it's one of my favorite hypnotic tools. Um, there's no trance involved. And it's, it's really hard to, to describe. Like before I describe it to my clients and say how weird it's going to be and they think they get it, then when it starts happening, they understand how weird it is. So I talk to a different part of your consciousness and ignore you. And I do that by talking to your hand. And I ask your hand to do things and your job, Gary, is to do nothing. Just to sit there with your hand sitting up kind mm. of in the shape of a swan or floppy. And I, I ask this part of your consciousness to, to move that hand in different ways and, and I ask you consciously not to move that hand. And it gets weird because that hand starts moving. And then I give it away to talk in a binary way. Of yes, no, maybe, I don't know. And I can engage in a conversation with part of your subconscious and get to a result of getting it to help you do something. Uh, It gets weirder still if I get that part inside of you, not just to communicate with your hand, but to maybe use your other hand and write and tell me what's going on. Or even more bizarre, I can get it to move that energy into your mouth, your throat, your larynx, your voice box and actually talk to me. And I have a conversation with a different part of you and you're pretty much just sitting in the background as a third person listening to the bizarre conversations that come out of your mouth of the part of you that's that's doing something. Maybe that's that's back to our previous conversation of of somebody who... (laughs) had been through an abusive situation where this this part actually tells me about that abuse or how it feels about that now and I I counsel that part inside to release that pain or maybe it's you, you have too many drinks like I used to and I have a chat with the part that creates that desire to get drunk within you and find out what its reasons are uh, generally every part of your consciousness that you think is a terrible habit, a uh, debilitating thing in your life, like anxiety or whatever, that's part of your consciousness trying to make your life better, to keep you safe, to keep you healthy, to keep your life. And it's just usually doing too good of a job or it's got a mixed message along the way, or it's learned a bad tool to do it. And so when you engage in discussion with that part, you can reeducate, it and give it a better direction let it let go of whatever it's hanging on to and life goes on very differently afterwards.
0: Oh, huh. that's a definitely a, a strange technique. And you sort of already answered my second question, next follow up question for that, which was, you know, how can hypnosis help people? Um, but so we'll just go move on to the next question after that. What are some of the myths about hypnosis? You know, like some people think about mind control or like, um, like Christopher Lee going, look into my eyes kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, look into my eyes is, is back to the mesmerism days of, of the nonverbal hypnosis. Uh, and that's, that's a practice called fascination. Um, and not many hypnotists can do that. Not many at all. Um, I personally only know about 10 people and I'm, I know, mm, a huge chunk of the hypnotherapists around the world, uh, especially the good ones. I'm, I'm quite close to a lot of them. And and the look into my eyes thing is not something any of them would dare to do. Uh, there's a, I've got a video on my website. I had an episode about mesmerism. There's a little clip on there of where I've got a client where I do that, where I just look at her and stare at her and she drops into a trance. Uh, and then I am, move my hands around a bit and move her energy field and I'll make a head turn. Now with that, I can't look into somebody's eyes and, and, and maybe that's why you you've made sure we haven't got a, a video chat going with this at the same time you're scared I'd look <laughs> in your eyes and, and make you give me your pin number and your credit card details and all the rest. Uh, there's no way you can do that. I can't just look at somebody and go, so you're going to give me your PIN number and your credit card, and I'm going to be able to take that to the bank and wipe you clean. Uh, that, that doesn't happen. Uh, it's more you can get a feeling, so you can give somebody a feeling of hope through it uh, mm-hmm. or just put them into trance. And then you could move to, to verbal hypnosis where you do something. Some people have that authoritative kind of hypnosis where they just demand a change, and mm-hmm. sometimes it happens, and that's where you see that stage hypnosis sort of stuff where they get somebody up and, and can get them to think their shoe was a telephone or to have an orgasm or whatever. And it is real. It is powerful and it happens. But with that, you only have that bold of an effect on a small percentage of the population. And that percentage is much higher at a stage show because the people who are in to doing that sort of stuff, go to that sort of thing. And they're creating a level of allowance while they're there as well for that to happen. And they know it's a participation thing. They know that part of their subconscious that's going to play along with that game goes, yeah, I know this is fun. Uh, This person is not about to rip me off. So I'll play this game. Um, And so those people are called some nambles. And it's like... Ten to twenty percent of the population um, but once you cross an ethical line with those people they, they snap out of it and and it won't happen so won't they work. still have their
0: free will even though they're under trance
1: yeah yeah I've, I've got of I've, everybody I've hypnotized the person who is who is the the most susceptible in that way that goes into the deepest trance and I can I could make her forget her name. I could make her forget certain numbers. I can make her talk a different language, whatever. Uh, anything I've asked her sometimes she play along with. Her. Yes. Somebody asked to do something that crossed her ethical boundaries and she just snapped straight out of hypnosis and it was game over. Hmm. Uh, so her consciousness knows the difference uh, and, and it's happy to enjoy that trance and, and do something quite strange. And you know they're not faking that when you get somebody to count to 100 as fast as they can and you've made them to get the number four and they just go one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, and they're skipping four at 14, at 24. They're skipping all that as fast as they can. And if you're pretending, it's really hard to do that. Uh, Or if you're a place the number four with the name Gary and they're like one, two, three, Gary, five, six, seven, and you get them to do math with it. And you just see it pop out just as an instant, uh, without a, a thought, you know, you're dealing with hypnosis there rather than that question about whether or not it's, uh, it's real or imagined.
0: I had taken um, a class online by a guy, um, Dan Jones, who, teaches like conversational hypnosis where he kind of does hypnosis without using scripts, he just sort of talks to people and, yep. and uses, you know, really simple techniques to induce uh, a basic trance and then kind of uses like repetition of different phrases
1: to, to help them with their issues. Yeah, and that'll, that'll work somewhat. That's, that's how advertising works. You're, you're seeing that all the time. So it's more an, an NLP sort of thing. Um, it's, if, you, if you say the same word again and again and again and again, um, and then you use that as a hook later on, it, it can make the consciousness pay a little bit more attention to it. It doesn't work all the time but usually if like salespeople use it all the time and they'll trick you into buying something they'll they'll use hypnotic language to, to get you there how many times have you walked out of a shop where a salesman's convinced you to buy something and after you've walked out of that shop you've gone that guy scammed you have time. that dirty <laughs> feeling yeah uh So it might work to some level to get you to do something and agree to buy something, but it's transparent. If somebody uses that stuff, they get a bad name. Uh, do you go back to that shop the next time you want to buy something or do you try a different salesperson now? (laughs) You look for the different salesperson. How how much
0: of that is used like in TV commercials and stuff like that in marketing?
1: Oh, all the time. Our whole marketing system is, is very much hypnotic. It's using subliminal things all the time. Uh, constant low impact advertising that you just see the, the Coke logo everywhere you go. Uh, so when you're thirsty, you, you think of a Coke first or Maccas or whatever. Uh, these, these big companies, they make sure there's hints about their product everywhere. that You can't go throughout your day without getting hinted about it. Uh, subtle things like product placement on, on TV has huge power. Lots of people started drinking Pepsi because Marty McFly had Pepsi on back to the future. Their sales hmm. went up drastically because subconsciously people were like, I want to be like Marty. Right. Yeah. So it, it definitely works and it's definitely around us. So I, I like the NLP and conversational hypnosis for their education to be able to spot it easier when somebody's playing a game on you. So you can avoid it. Uh, I don't like using that sort of thing, but I like your thing of, of Dan Jones saying he uses it in therapy. I will occasionally use that sort of stuff in a therapeutic context to help them get to where they want to be quicker. But I'm I'm very different. If I'm doing hypnosis with you, you know I'm doing hypnosis with you and then I'll use some of those hypnotic language tools within that to make it a little bit more powerful. But there's there's no confusion about when it is I'm doing hypnosis compared to when I'm not doing hypnosis. Uh, I, I make it very transparent because it makes it even more powerful and an indirect thing of just talking about something and hoping it lands it'll get some results but it's not going to get much I'm very direct I talk Mm -hmm. with the subconscious I I don't want to talk to it I don't want to talk vaguely to it I want to talk directly to it and engage and I want to find out if it's keen and if it's going to follow through and then I'll hold it accountable for what it's agreed for the next time I speak with it. You agreed to this. Come on. Do do you use like traditional hypnosis scripts? No,
0: no. You're walking down the stairs and each stair
1: has a number. Uh, guided imagery stuff. Oh, you sometimes, um, I find that that's not my specialty. Uh, I, (sighs) I'll, I'll use that on maybe 10% of my clients if I can't get there other ways. Uh, it's, it's, it's not as, as powerful. Script things are, are different. That's where you're reading a piece of paper. Now, if mm-hmm. I'm having a conversation with you and I'm reading a piece of paper, I'm, I'm going to get nowhere. You sent me uh, a, a brief outline of the sort of things we're going to talk about today. And, and you're asking similar questions, but you're not reading it word for word off what you put down. No. Uh, and that makes it a real conversation. And that makes me more interested in engaging because it's real. If I walk down the street with a clipboard and I walked up to somebody and I started talking to them, but I'm looking at the bit of paper and I'm just reading verbatim off this script, how many people do you think are gonna actually engage in conversation with me? None. Very few. It's 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 not personal. They're just gonna go, this guy's an idiot, and they're gonna walk away. <laughs> Your subconscious is more intelligent than you, Gary. (laughs) Uh, So if I'm reading from a script, it's going to go, this dude is a freaking joke. I'm not playing his game. And it's going to just laugh it off and ignore me. I'll land on 10% of the people where it's going, okay, I'll play this game. I'll I'll do that. Or I see you as an authority, so I'll follow. I give somebody subconsciousness, the respect of engaging in conversation with it and hear what it has going on, what it needs, and I'm more a mediator. So I I open the doorway to be able to engage with this thing, and then I mediate between what you as conscious Gary wants and your subconscious of what it's doing for you that you don't want to find a middle ground. Like if you've got a neighbor that just annoys the hell out of you, going and screaming at them to stop it doesn't always work. It usually makes them ramp up what they do. Cause they're like freaking Gary thinks he's better than me and can tell me what to do. I'm going to show him. Uh, and they just amp it up. Whereas if you sit down together and you have a discussion and there's a impartial person there that can help both you see both sides of the story and come up with a solution that keeps both of you happy. There's a good chance you're going to move forward on that. Right. Right. That's the approach I take with hypnotherapy. Uh, not many people are that direct with how they engage with the subconscious, but I find the ones that are get much better results that actually stick.
0: Um, so I'm going to go completely off script here. Um, do you think that um, like politicians and government propaganda is a form of hypnosis? And is there a way for people to protect themselves from it?
1: Uh, Most politicians have had some hypnotic training. It's definitely transparent. Yes. Uh, With uh, Trump, Trump uses hypnotic language. Trump uses energetic practices. Trump does a lot of esoteric things. Uh, Check out... um, Gary Luckman wrote a book, Dark Star Rising. Uh, Gary's, Gary's wrote a, an abundance of work on, on esoteric stuff. Uh, he's is a, a cult literary man who's highly accredited with what he does, and he researched Trump greatly. And it's Trump grew up in the New Thought Church, which is the precursor to the the Secret the um, manifestation stuff, believe Mm -hmm. and, and it happens. Uh, and that group all manifested for him to, to get in. And like, nobody thought Trump was going to get in. Everybody thought, oh, this guy's an idiot. We're, we're not going to have him come in. Uh, some people obviously wanted him in. Um, but the general consensus around the world was he, he wasn't going to win and then he won. Uh, he wasn't going to stay and then he stayed. Uh, consensus around the world at the moment is he probably won't get reelected. I think he's probably going to get reelected. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, he, he, he does a lot of different things. The, you you might've seen some videos where he's people have superimposed an accordion in his hands because yes. he, he does this thing. He is doing energy balls and Doing a distance, not healing thing, but a, a distance energy manipulation on that crowd every time he does it. Uh, that's what it looks and feels like to me. Hmm.
0: Uh,
1: I haven't had a conversation with him, so I can't prove that. Right. Right. <laughs> I haven't sat in the same room as him, so I can't prove that. But he does it. Uh, and they all use little things like... Um, just subtle body language things to let it know. You look at, at videos of, of Trump, he's usually got his hands in, in the steeple where his fingertips are touching each other and, and his hands are, are in like a, a ball shape or a triangle shape. Right. And that's a, that's a hand position of saying, I'm in power. I'm the boss. And he does it all the time to make sure people know he's the boss. There's the, you watch the video of where Obama hands over with him and he's sitting there with his legs wide and his hands in that position to say, I, I own this, I'm, I'm over you. So it's they, they, they all have little subtle things and they've got speechwriters. There's no political speechwriter that would not have done a bunch of NLP classes because they know these tools work and they want to make sure they do it. So they're, they're all using it to try and get an edge over one another.
0: Yeah. One of the things yeah. I noticed is a lot of them when they talk, to use short rhythmic sentences. Mm. Yeah. Like it's rare to hear them like, you know, use like a sentence that would have comments in it basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, if you there, there's a hypnotic thing of, of having, Repetition of having a pace and a flow and that's that's going to help you read a child's book. What are the best-selling children's books? Ones that have repetition because the kids can follow it easy and they kind of get what's going to happen on the next page because the same things happened on the past five pages except for one little difference. So they pretty much know what's happening And then they feel like they're intelligent because they've guessed what's coming. So within their speeches, if they're delivering something in a flow with a pattern, with the same sort of words, part of you is going to feel like, you know, what's coming next. And it's going to think of that. And then when they say it, you either feel smart, like you guessed it. And that kind of makes you like that person a little bit more because that made you feel smart. Or you like that person because they have the same ideas as you. But it's not your idea. It's the idea they led you to think before they said it. It's tricky. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, But it it, it, uh, doesn't matter if, if they're wearing a blue hat or a red hat, they're going to be doing the same thing. Uh, absolutely they all use it yeah so (sighs) being aware of of what what your governments and more importantly the people that control your governments the the corporations that are bribing them left right and center you just got to be aware when when you're being lied to and when you're being sold um, and assume that that's going to happen and you might fall for a little bit less
0: I hope my listeners are listening to that advice because too many sheep. Yeah. Um, how about self hypnosis in some of these hypnosis apps that they have now?
1: Uh, the apps are right. Um, a lot of them are just guided meditations and they're not really hypnosis. Uh, so you've got to listen to them hundreds of times for it to really sink in. Uh, they'll work a little bit better if you're in like a float tank sort of environment so you can get yourself into a trance. If you're good at meditation and can get yourself into a trance and you do that while you're listening to that, that's going to have a lot more power ability. Uh, if you're doing an activity that gives that light trance state, uh, like you get into a light trance when you drive, I don't recommend listening to hypnosis tracks while you drive because That'll <laughs> make you crash if you go into a full on trance. But you can get in that light trance by getting on an exercise bike and listening to a hypnosis track. Uh, for If you're a somnambulist and somebody who's going to drop out deep and quick with that, that's not going to be safe again. But if you're the average person who doesn't go into hypnosis of a trance-like state very easily, you can do that quite well and your subconscious will listen. But again, it's a script. So your subconscious is going to be more intelligent than that. And you go, well, this doesn't hit home for me. Uh, some of the lines within that track might, but a lot of them might not. And so it'll be like, oh, he's not talking to me. I don't need to listen.
0: Would, uh, meditation, self- would meditation be considered a, method, a way of hypnosis or
1: self-hypnosis? Mm, somewhat, but not Not really again. Uh, so, Self-hypnosis, a real version of self-hypnosis is you get yourself into a trance state, whether that's from breathing, closing your eyes, doing a progressive muscle relaxation, which is only going to work for a very small percentage of people, uh, staring at the wall at one single spot for a long time, um, and then telling yourself something or having a recording of yourself that you listen to. That's, that's kind of self-hypnosis. Oh, I've found all of those approaches really weak. The swan thing that you asked me about before, that was where self-hypnosis worked for me. Uh, so the first time I did the swan, it was just from, from doing it as a self-swan thing of, of connecting to this different part of myself. Uh, there's a video on my website I can send you a link to as well that your listeners can check out that get guided how to do that themselves to try this self-hypnosis and there's no trance involved. You're just bypassing that critical faculty that gets in the way of questions and get part of your consciousness to come into your hand and engage in a conversation with it and ask it, can you make this change? Can you help me remember this? Can you help me to do this and see if it says yes or no. And then go out and do that thing and see if it actually did help. Um, More often than not, I find just asking it to do something doesn't really get you anywhere unless you give it a good map of how to get there. Uh, If you know where you keep hitting a wall with something, spill out that steps and make it some smart goals of filling in all the little bits to be able to, to get there. Like if I tell you, um, to to go somewhere and i just give you the destination you might be able to get there but if if i give you a map with all the directions there you're going to get there a lot easier i'll program your gps or whatever but if you just try and find a location without a gps or anything like that, you, you might get lost along the way so i find it it's good to fill in all the steps and mm-hmm a guided meditation or hypnosis track that somebody else has recorded is not going to know all the steps that are right for you. No one person has the exact same problem as everybody else. Everybody's is slightly different.
0: That makes perfect sense. because Nobody's
1: wired the same.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: You lived your life. I've lived mine. You had your parents. I had mine. You went to your school. I went to mine. You had your siblings. I had mine. Uh, there's all these different influences in life. Um, how about the use
0: of things like, um,
1: DMT or ayahuasca? Uh, those are illegal in Australia, so I cannot recommend either of those things. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's, they're, they're an interesting process. The DMT is a quick snap thing to get somebody into. uh, It's not even really a trance state. It's, it's, it's like switching dimensions uh, into the the spiritual realm. If If you haven't dealt with psychedelics before, I would not recommend people start with DMT. Uh, That's that's a little bit full on of an experience quickly. And unless you're prepared to deal with stuff and and have done a lot of psychological work, it does have that potential of creating a psychological problem because you're quickly snapping out of reality, Mm -hmm. going on a journey and then quickly snapping back in. And that can be quite jarring for the average consciousness. So if you don't have... Have experience with psychedelics or dealing with your consciousness? I'd say no. The ayahuasca, though, that's a slow journey. Uh, same place, a lot deeper, and you've got help if you're doing it right with a shaman or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna you're gonna have that ability to to handle that trip a lot easier. But it's it's not a fun one. Most people they they literally lose their crap. Uh, they'll be crapping in a bucket or spewing <laughs> <all sorts> of <laughs> things like that. You, you purge the nastiness inside in a physical way and a spiritual and consciousness way. Um, and again, with that, unless you're ready to, to deal with the darkest parts of, of your psyche and all of your problems in your life, I wouldn't go down that route. None of those are a party uh, thing. They're not fun trips. They're they're powerful tools to create change and for healing. Uh, but they 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 have a, a spirit, and it's 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 a deep, real thing. And if you're not walking into that with respect, it can treat you a bit rough.
0: Yeah, I've heard Joe Rogan talk about how he wants to do the isolation tank while taking ayahuasca.
1: Yeah, I know he's done it with DMT. Um, And, yeah, I think it did work quite well with ayahuasca. Um, Not if you crap yourself, though. But not everybody has that experience and especially not your, your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Like I'm pretty sure he's experienced it a few times with how uh, into DMT he is.
0: Yeah. Um, so one thing is like, I play a guitar and every once in a while, like, you know, if I'm playing and especially like if I'm i usually use like a, like a real heavy groove, you know? And, um, and if I really get into it, like I swear, like it'll seem like a couple of minutes and an hour will pass by. Is that like a trance? Definitely is.
1: So with, with how your subconscious learns, it learns by either the first seven to nine years of your life. While it's, it's building its programs, working out how life works. The only ways it adds something new or changes as natural default things is by repetition, by doing something again, 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 again. Like when you learn how to play guitar, you didn't just pick it up and be able to riff out for any help. You had to gruel away getting used to the chords, the notes, and just the, the combinations of rhythm of knowing you had to move both hands and stuff like that. Am I, am I correct there?
0: Absolutely. Yes.
1: Uh, or you have a traumatic experience, something that, really made something be aware it was a profound moment of either the joy, love, happiness end of the scale or the grief, trauma end of the scale. They're the only times it learned. So when you learn guitar, you were teaching part of your consciousness to do something. You do it again and again and again. And then the robot inside starts to take over. Uh, he's subconscious goes, Oh, this is my bit. I don't know how to. he taught me how to do this. So I take over. And so that other part of your consciousness, the musician inside, he takes over and he's doing it. And that autopilot is what plays. And sometimes that can get really interesting. A lot of great musicians say once they start and they get in that groove, they're not there. Hendrix used to say once once he was on stage and, and he was half a song in, he wasn't there till he walked off stage, because he he'd get into that trance state, and the different part of him would take over. Um, some people question that sort of stuff. I remember in the the eighties Satanic Panic sort of thing, they thought that was him getting uh, getting overpowered by Satan or whatever, and, and that was what was what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but under, understanding consciousness, I know it's just a part within him, and so. When you do that, yeah, you're, you're asking this part to come forward and to help you play, and he does. And sometimes that's just going to be that rhythmic thing of you just play the same song for that that hour or whatever, and he's just doing what you taught him to do. And other times, you, you go deeper. So like um, Coltrane. Uh, if if you're uh, no jazz, mm-hmm. uh, it, was a, it was a quote I'd read ages ago of him. I'm not. I don't know verbatim, but I, I I know the gist of it. He had this this guy come up to him after a gig and say, "How do you do jazz? Can you teach me how to play jazz like you do?" And he said, "Well, go home, practice all the chords, all the scales, and practice them, practice them, practice them, and learn." all the music theory, you can go through all the classical stuff. Like I goes, no, 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 I want to play jazz. Like you guys, you got to do this first. And then you throw it all away and you just play. <laughs> uh, once you teach your consciousness enough of the rule book of how things are done, it can then dance in between the lines.
0: That's definitely true. The more, you know, and the more, you practice; the easier it is to fill in the gaps.
1: <laughs> yeah. Your
0: your your mind knows automatically what to do, even if you don't know what to
1: do. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because music is, it's an emotive thing. It's a it's a language thing. And if you're reading the script, it's going to be very square, blunt, and, and not as cool. Whereas if you go off script and you start to play with the language you know it's great. It's a conversation like what we're having now. Music's the same sort of thing. You learn the notes, you've, you've got the scripts inside, you can pick them up if you need and drop into a, a pattern or you can find ways to mix all those notes together and start a new conversation.
0: Is there any type of music that you would um, recommend or you think would put people in the trance, you know, quicker or better than other types of music?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't don't use music in my therapy room at all.
0: (laughs) Right. I Um, mean, just in in general listening though, do you ever find something like, wow, this is really,
1: you know, generally in a zone. uh, It's, it's going to be more music that connects with your history. Yeah. So you're more often going to go into a trance and be lost in some memory of your past when the song is something that's got a, a deep emotive link to that, or you, what, what's your favourite album? Um, probably Master of Reality, Black Sabbath. Okay. When um, there there would have been a year in your life that you got that album and you played the shit out of that album, am I right, Gary? So when you you hear that more often than not, you're probably going to get flashbacks and think back to when you're 16 or whatever. Yeah. When you first got into that album and you'll have that feeling and that feeling of when you're a teenager and you're first discovering music is when you're first discovering yourself. Most people get into the music taste they have as an adult when they're going through that cusp of realizing you're not a child anymore. You're individual. You don't have the same beliefs and views as your parents. You find your own thing, and your old man probably never listened to Sabbath. No, he your Sabbath. See, uh, so it's an empowering thing, and so part of your consciousness is like, "Yeah, this is this is me stepping into myself," uh, and so it it taps back into to those who sort of feelings, and you might have had your your first kiss listening to Sabbath or something like that. So it brings back that sort of stuff. That's that's more what I find. Uh, if you And that's the natural trance sort of things that are going to happen that I think are are more deep and powerful. But if you're just trying to get into a trance to do a self-hypnosis sort of thing or something like that, then probably just a slow, continual rhythm of the same sort of thing is going to work a little bit better. Um, But some of those are going to work in the opposite effect. I know some slow rhythmic things to me are just going to put me off and make me mm. bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to get into a trance state that's going to pull me out of that because my consciousness is like this music is rubbish.
0: One of the things I remember I read this when I was a teenager and that, that my memory recall <clears throat> um, would be better if I was in the same, if I, like say if I had to take a test in school and as long as I was in the same emotional state when I was taking the test as I was when I was studying the material, I would recall it better. So what I would do is I would smoke weed, do my homework while I was high, and then smoke the same type of weed before going in to take a test to help me recall when I studied.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it worked. Uh, yeah, that's, that's called anchoring. Uh, that would have worked if you had a peppermint tea and a peppermint tea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The altered state of the weed, uh, it it probably got in your way because you've got to have something go through your short-term memory to get to your long-term memory. And what is something weed is notorious for? forgetfulness but, but for me Forget somehow it works <laughs> and and it would have been that the association with that feeling so if you want to learn something uh the best way to do it if you've got to do a test in a certain room is to go to that room and study in that place and then mm-hmm. it's anchored to that place or to do something that adds to it like by adding a smell a flavor or a feeling if you wear certain clothes when you study and you wear certain clothes, the same clothes while you're doing the test, that's going to come through easier. Hmm. So
0: like say, for example, a person could like burn like a cinnamon candle while studying for a test and then have something that's on them that smells like cinnamon while taking the test. It could help them recall easier.
1: It would. Yes. Um, With that though, that's state dependent memory. So, If that's something you want to actually use in your life, unless you've got cinnamon around all the time where you work in a donut shop, you're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's where if you learn something in different environments, it locks it into your memory easier. So if you want to study for something that you want to actually use in your life, like with playing music, if you practice guitar in the lounge room and in the bedroom and in the backyard and at your mate's house, that teaches your consciousness, Oh, this is an everywhere skill and it's easy to access anywhere, anytime. If you only ever play music in your bedroom, then it's going to be a little bit stronger to access in your bedroom. If you practice in your bedroom. Interesting. So there is,
0: there, there is something to that though where, where the mind yeah, it connects is. and yeah. it recalls when it reconnects to something that doesn't even have anything to do with what you're trying to,
1: Dude. Yeah. Right. The, <laughs> the three greatest things to help people learn something is, is that of using that state dependent memory of either doing it in the same place as where you're going to be utilizing it or mixing and matching it to make it an everywhere place and anchoring it to a smell or a taste a feeling or something like that. The next one is by teaching somebody else that helps move it from one part of your consciousness to another because absorbing information is one thing, but teaching somebody else helps lock in that you've got it. So if you learn a new little riff and you've got a mate that's learning guitar and you go over and teach him that riff, I guarantee you will be easier to remember that riff for the rest of your life. Uh, The other one is... um, I've lost my train of thought now. There was the State Dependent. The teaching uh, and mixing up what you learn if you're learning different topics. Um, Don't just do the same thing each time. So if you're with music context, learn a jazz song, learn a rock song, learn a pop song and switch up between them and learn different styles and that helps you lock all that knowledge in a little bit better or do music theory one day, do music practice the next day. Uh, Just cramming and doing one thing for a long time after a certain point you're wasting your time. If you if you were doing your high school exam and you cram for 10 hours the day before your test, about two hours of what you actually did is worthwhile. The rest of it's a waste of your time. Whereas if you did different bits of that subject throughout the week, it would have been way, way stronger. And especially if you re- do something and you review what you did three days ago, very briefly, it really locks in what you've learned.
0: Helpful. Um, how about like mnemonic devices? I think that's what they're called. You know, like using like acronyms
1: to recall things. Yeah. That'll help. The easiest thing for like the art of memory sort of thing is to use story to remember, like we didn't have written words for for the bulk of human existence, Uh, but stories have been there all the time. So the more you can make a story about something, the easier it is to remember. And the weirder that story is, or the more sexual that story is, the more you will remember that thing. It's so, like
0: when I, I learned how to play guitar. Like, they remember the name of the strings? I think the one they used was um, Eddie ate dynamite. Goodbye, Eddie.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's weird, so it sticks. Yeah, uh, and you can go through that. I remember I learned the. North, south, east, west. By remembering, never eat soggy wheat <laughs> <laughs> Uh And and for years, I had to go through that to work out what direction was where. Um, till uh, I got the hang of, of of understanding it. So it will will help you you get there.
0: Great. Well, I'm running out of time. I know I kept you longer than you expected, but we were going. We we're sort of on a roll yes yeah I
1: had fun it was a a good chat
0: yeah Uh, so I'm gonna wrap this up just gonna read my uh, closing stuff here Um, to my listeners please like and review my podcast on whatever platform you're using and also subscribe to it it helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for other people to find and also please tell your friends family and even that weird uncle which would be me uh, about the podcast and if anybody wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. And I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Um, the website for my show is everythingimaginable2020.com. And um, where can we find your
1: stuff again just before we close out so my listeners know where to find you? Uh, Branchesofhealing.com.au. Branches as in like what's on a tree healing as in getting better right. uh, akasha talks is, is my podcast but you can find that within that website and, and dig through there there's uh there's all sorts of things if people have questions I'm i'm easy to find i'm happy for your listeners to to reach out to me whether that's on, on social media on facebook or whatever or on email I'm, I'm happy to have a chat if they've got questions or if they want to book in for a session i can do it Over Zoom, it works just as well whether you're in the same room as me or on the other side of the world. I'm always up at 4 a.m. or 11 o'clock at night because Australia's time zone doesn't work well with the rest of the world. And I (laughs) do sessions (laughs) all over the world all the time. Half of my clients are in the UK and the US. So,
0: yeah. All right. And your name, so my listeners know?
1: Lance Baker, (laughs)
0: L-A-N-C-E. And I'm going to post... The links to all your your things on my website everything imaginable 2020.com under your interview so all my listeners will have access to it
1: excellent cheers
0: all right and thank you everybody for listening remember everything that is was first imagined see you next week and thank you for listening